Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's unfortunate that black fathers being absent is still a stereotype that exists. But I believe it's a stereotype that has long outlived any truth. The reality is present black fathers is not an anomaly. It's not some sort of uh, special outlier, but the norm. The reality is today, whether married or unmarried, 60% of black fathers live at home with their children. And that's not including the many fathers that do not live at home with their children for whatever reason, but are still active in their life. But that doesn't erase the fact that many black millennial children were raised without fathers or without fathers that were actually positive influences on them or fathers that were physically present and also emotionally present. So what happens when that generation grows up and begins to try to shift the narrative, particularly in the area of verbal and physical affection? Because the reality is, though many black fathers are present in their children's life, that's not to say that they have grown up understanding just how much freedom there is for them to affectionately love their children verbally and physically. And I think of a book that I read called uh, Will to Change by Bell Hooks. It's a really good book. It was one of the most influential books on my life in the past few years. Just, it just did a lot for me. And it's a, it's a feminist critique of masculinity in America, particularly black masculinity in America. And there are parts of the book where she goes through uh, all the different barriers and obstacles that black men have to overcome within a culture of patriarchy, a, a culture that not only victimizes women, but ultimately is victimizing men as well. It robs them of many parts of their genuine humanity, of the freedom of their humanity to, to love people well. And so she goes through these lists of things, uh, whether it be abuse or neglect or the culture around them, um, absentee fathers, all these different things 
that would somehow set a man on a trajectory to do as bad or worse than the men that came before him, the men that were around him growing up. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking through how my dad turned out to be this, this affectionate, loving father. We say, I love you every time before we say goodbye on the phone or um, anywhere. We, we, I've kissed my dad on the cheek or the neck since I can remember. We still do. Um, he's, he's never really had a problem with being very huggy. And, and so I thought to myself, how did he end up like that? Considering all of his circumstances. And there are a lot of men who are going to have to make very intentional changes, very intentional actions toward growth in love and and being tender towards not just the women in their lives, but just people, man, just people. And then part of that also, I think, which is displayed in my father, is this sort of wave of grace that comes to an anomaly in the matrix, man, where someone who considering all of their circumstances should have turned out one way did not. They just didn't. And that's my father. And it's ironic that I'm recording this portion of the episode on June 21st. It is father's day here. Well, everywhere (laughs) it's father's day, but June 21st is also the 40th anniversary of my parents' marriage, the 40th year that my father and my wonderful mother have continued in this, in this union to love each other and to serve each other and to care for each other till death do them part. And it's one of the best things that my father could have given to me as a, as a man is the stark contrast to what the culture says a man should be and how a man should view women and his woman and how he should treat her. Like he stands in stark contrast to what the popular narrative would say. And that's been a beautiful gift. So this episode is actually the first episode I ever recorded for Flats and Feelings, ironically the conversation you're about to hear, but I just never put it out. I recorded this back in January and considering the narrative around race right now, and then this sort of brief overlap in talking about fatherhood on father's day, I thought this would be a great episode, a great timing for this episode. And for y'all to just kind of eavesdrop on, on a conversation between me my father. What's going on, 
family, my name is Joseph Solomon. I'm a singer, songwriter, poet, spoken word artist, YouTuber, lifelong student, ever doubtful or curious Christian, frequent flyer, black son. Welcome to the 10th flight of the Flights and Feelings podcast, where we thoughtfully and vulnerably travel through faith, relationships, sexuality, science, health, and culture via storytelling poetry, and conversation. Yeah, how would you describe the relationship with your father, your biological father growing up? Well, there wasn't a relationship in terms of everyday norm, father and son, waking up and seeing my dad, it wasn't that. I was in foster home for the majority of my life, so of my childhood life. So I didn't have uh, that relationship that I have with you. And so um, whenever I could see my father, I was happy. That was the gist of my relationship that I got a chance to see him. I never really lived with him except for uh, one summer. So I knew my father as my father, not as my dad, to the point that I called him by his nickname, not even his first name, his nickname. His nickname was you called Buddy. Him Buddy. I called him Buddy. I never called him dad or father. Wow. I didn't know that. So you were raised in foster care. For a lot of people, that means that your father wasn't present at all, but in some odd way, he was still there. But to fill in those gaps, were there, what was your relation to other men? Like the the men that were in your life, the men, whether it be foster fathers, like that stuff, I I don't think I've really um, asked a lot of questions about that. Like who were the men that were in your life and were they affectionate towards you? Did you have that? Well, I was in six different foster homes Mm. all the way up until I was 18. I remember one foster home, it was just a a little old lady that took in a lot of kids. And, uh, but the other uh, fathers that I went to that had fathers' homes that I went to that had fathers, uh, no, they really didn't express, they expressed care, but not love. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in a humane way, in a hey, you don't have a you don't have a place, so I'm gonna take you in. Yeah, but uh, you can see they d- draw the line between foster children and their own. Oh uh, yeah. So yes, they did care for me. I wouldn't use the word love. I remember, I'll tell a story. <laughs> I had ran away from, well, I called myself running away from home. I don't know what it was because I went like three blocks away and you knew where I was. And you came and you came straight to the house that I was at and all my friends lied to me. I was yeah. in the backyard. Yeah, and I was around the corner and I wanted, I don't know what I was mad for, but I was even sneaking back in the house like during the day. I was at work, I, was, I think it was the summertime. I would sneak back in the house, grab some snacks and stuff because I was hungry. I didn't have a job. I think I was, like eight, I was in eighth grade. 
And I called myself running away and I was I was going to run away. But then just to show how bad my running away skills were, I, I ended up that night at Fred's house, which is right around the literally his backyard touches our backyard. Yes. You, you can climb the fence and be in his backyard. Yes. And so I was outside with my bike uh, and you came around um, and that time, I think it was in that, that, that Dodge Caravan. And you pulled up and you, and you said, come on, let's let's go home. And I had my bike. And so I don't remember if I put my bike in the car. I think I just rode around the corner. And whatever happened in that between time, I remember getting home. And the first thing you asked me was, are you hungry? Do you want some Burger King? And <laughs> I thought it was a trick because I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> nah, fam, I'm not getting nobody's call. I, I'm good. Like, I was so, I had been gone all day, again, running away. I, was, I didn't even spend the night, so I was gone for a full day without telling y'all where I went, and I was so fearful that something would happen. And so the, there was, one, but there was two fears that were residing there, though. Mm-hmm. And, I, and one was, I was fearful that I was going to get my butt whooped. That was fear number one. <laughs> I just was like, I've been gone all day. But the second type of fear that I had was uh, you didn't even whip me that night, which was which was strange, I, and and that irked me because I, I couldn't even go to sleep that night because I was like, I think he's gonna let me go to sleep, and then I, <laughs> um, yeah. but that didn't happen. But I think something even more uh, triggering and and influential happened instead. I really felt the disappointment that I gave to you. And and that is the type of fear that I had of of not wanting to disappoint um, this man who's poured so much into my life and and who's loved me so well. And so yeah, there is that fear of I don't want my butt will. But then there was like when you have a healthy relationship with your father, one of the fears that you have is letting them down. And I think yeah. that's a I think that's a healthy fear, not letting them down in the sense of like they can because I never felt like you controlled my life. You always allowed like whatever career path I was trying to go I was exploring so many different things um and you never said you have to do this you know so I never felt that fear like if I don't choose the right thing if I don't choose the right wife or whatever it may be I I never felt that type of pressure from you you yeah. you, you were very very clear on doing that but um but I still even with all that freedom I still felt this fear of like uh, this healthy fear that pushed me to I want to make you proud. I think that every son feels that whether they had a good father or a bad father, they, yeah. there is something innate in a son that says, "I look at what I did, Daddy. I want you to be proud of it." I remember me running away from my foster home and coming back. I did not get the same reaction and response that I gave you. What was the response? It was a bad response. It was, it was, it was, uh, they did tell me to go to sleep, go upstairs and take a bath. And then once they, I took my bath, as I began to take my bath, she busts in in the bathroom and just literally, she had to switch a, a belt. And, you know, and it was just uh, crazy. And so I remember those kind of things, and I never wanted that to happen to my children. I never wanted to have that built in me. And I think a lot of times men 
take their childhood and bring it over into their marriages and and they allow it to um, to deal with their children the same way that they were brought up. But how does that so but how did that become different for for you then? That's one thing I was I was asking earlier because I was reading this book and I maybe I'll talk about it later, um, Bell Hooks, uh, the the will to change. And it's a it's a it's a woman uh, uh, scholar critiquing, you know, masculinity and, and she goes through all these situations and experiences of men that sort of break them and make them very harsh, uh, whether it be uh, verbal or physical abuse, whether it be the society around them, uh, whether it be something like being in Fasson, whether uh, not having a father, all these things. And as I'm reading through this book, a lot of things that she was saying sounded like how you were raised, also being raised in, in, a, in, a, city, in a city like Baltimore. And the conclusion is, see, if you have these experiences, then this is the type of person that will be produced. And for some reason, there was a disconnect where you had all these experiences and situations that would make someone say, OK, this is the type of person that will come out of that. And yet somehow the kindness and the gentleness, uh, I would even say some innocence and affection towards, as we're talking about, today more so up towards your children that was preserved well you can say that was part of your personality but like but society can crush that part of somebody's right. society uh, right. a personality right, Joe, but you know um it's not it's it's a part of my personality some of it but mainly i chose to change my path my my thinking and of course with god in my life and with uh, what I learned through these models like I mentioned to you, I've seen it in their life and they had hard times. And I tell you, I'm not, and I'm not trying to sound like so spiritual here. Yeah. I, I, I'm really not. But I know that's what got me through. We, we went to a TMF or a Total Men Fellowship. There was a, a men's fellowship a conference one year. Mm-hmm. In that conference, we were talking about men and fathers. And Bishop said, you know what, uh, really— in reality, you really don't know how to be a man unless the Lord shows you. I forgave my father in that conference because right then, all of a sudden, my whole past came on me in terms of uh, what had happened to me with my father. And so that's what changed me. It wasn't just my—no, it wasn't my just the way I'm made, I made up, but I think it's more so of just having a made-up mind. So I want to confess something. I don't think I've ever really told you this before, but I, I sort of lived in this in-between space of really loving the relationship that you and I had, but also feeling a bit ashamed of it for two reasons. One, a lot of my friends didn't have fathers, and the music that I listened to, like rap, not to blame rap, but it did shape the way I, I you know, I viewed manhood and so forth and so being fatherless was it's like sort of like a, a a rite of passage you know it it made you to to be raised in a single parent home that was part of the struggle so that made you kind of you know more of a tough guy but that was clearly never my story so I felt less of a black boy because I had a present father and then two not only did I have a present father I had a very affectionate father and I rarely wanted people to know that 
it wasn't until like college that I felt okay with people knowing that I say I love you to my dad every time I see him and that we hug and kiss each other on the cheek and so forth and um, it felt like that made you look soft and, and consequently that made me look soft and so I, 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 I wasted a lot of time being somewhat ashamed of that and I, I really wish I didn't waste that many years uh, being ashamed of something that I, I realize now was so rare and so beautiful. I can count on one hand how many times I've seen you cry. And I, one time I saw you cry in a, in a, in a, in a personal time that I, I don't even, I don't even I think you wanted me to see. I kind of came, it was at Windmill. I don't know if you remember that. I won't go into detail, but I was, I went out uh, into the room and I saw you crying. And, and that was a, that was the first time that I ever I had ever saw you cry. And I was, and I was an adult by then. Yeah. Um, that was the first time I'd ever saw you cry. And then I think the, there's only two other times that I saw you cry. One, when we surprised you for your 50th birthday. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the other time was uh, 2018 when Bishop died. Yeah. And because he was, in many ways, part of that gap feeling for being a father figure to you. He was. And so I, I never knew if that, I never asked about that. I don't know if that was, maybe mom has seen you cry more than I have. Maybe behind closed doors, you've cried more. But I've I've never, all of the times that I saw you cry were always in my adulthood. So I don't know if you've become more comfortable with crying now or it's just I, after if I just hung around for a long, a long enough time, I would eventually see it. Um, but yeah, was that intentional or? Well, yeah, that was intentional. I don't, I don't want you to be me raising you. I would sit up here crying everywhere. I mean, uh, well, not everywhere, I but mean, I mean, I literally age. never saw you cry right. until I was like, yeah, like, like, like twenty. I was, I think I just graduated. I think I graduated <laughs> college by that point. I just graduated. Well, I cried a lot more than that. You just hadn't seen it. Yeah, your mom and I had cried together. And there's nothing wrong with a man crying. Not when the Bible says Jesus wept. <laughs> and so if he wept, I know I'm going to cry. He made crying for us to release whatever we need to release. It's always good to um, sit and uh, you kind of every every time we have one of these conversations, I learn something else uh, that I didn't know. Uh, I think that especially my generation, we're so on our phones so much, we get so much of our information digitally that we feel like all the information that we need to know can be Googled, but there is information out there that will never be able to be Googled, and that is the stories and the history of our parents and our grandparents. And 
we should use as much time as we can. And it's, and it's, a, it's a conviction of myself because I don't think I do it enough to learn from people, uh, our parents and our grandparents and people before. Because when they go, uh, yeah. the, the history um, and the information that they have can go with them too. It won't be so true. It, you won't be able to Google that anymore. And not only that, Joe, it's just spending time with you, like you do. I, I, I want to say this. I don't know if you're going to air this or not, but I, I, I really appreciate you uh, valuing uh, the relationship between your mom and I and your sister and your your nieces and your nephew and your brother-in-law. Because once it's gone, it's gone. You know, we only live one life. And I think that we do so much in life that we, we don't value what is so important. Yes, jobs are important. Um, uh, success is important. But nothing should go. Nothing should in terms of value should be higher than your family. You know, you know, again, it's God first and then that family. Because you never, you know, once a family member is gone, they're gone, you never can get those days back. You know, the time that you spent with us, you spend with us, it is so precious. I mean, we we look forward to you coming. It even if we don't do anything, just you being here with us. You know, taking time off of your, your schedule to be with us. Because life is a vapor. You know, one day, uh, I'll be gone. I'll be gone. You know, and and that's not a negative. That's not a negative at all, but it's truth. And, um, and what you will have left is memories. Yo, that wraps it up for episode 10 of the Flights and Feelings podcast. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Man, y'all stay safe and vigilant. And sometimes a little more vigilant than safe, right? Because uh, we in different times, but there's still love. And there's still family. And there's still Despite what you may feel, despite what you may see or hear perpetually, there is still God. There is still God. Gentlemen, welcome to Atlanta, where the local time is 10.46 a.m. For your safety and the safety of those around you, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened and keep the aisles clear until we are parked at the gate. The captain will turn off the seatbelt. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.